listen to this phrase, ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. That's the phrase. Don't wait for the phrase. That's the phrase. Wait for it. We asked our team to search the internet for videos with the caption, wait for it. And this is what they found. Take a look. Oh man, thankfully all of our mistakes are caught on camera these days. Because you knew that the caption for each one of those videos is wait for it, you watch it differently. You watch the videos in anticipation that something funny, something exciting is going to happen. We're expecting as we watch each of those videos, a big moment. Well this morning, you and I, we're all waiting for something. We're all waiting for something. And when I say waiting today, I want you to think of it this way. Waiting is living in expectation of what's not yet happened. Waiting is living in expectation of what's not yet happened. Waiting to graduate. Waiting for the job. Waiting for the promotion. Waiting for the house. Living in expectation of what's not yet happened waiting to get married, waiting for children, waiting for the children to get out of the house, waiting for retirement. Some of us might say we're waiting to get better, we're waiting to get out of debt, we're waiting for an open door, for an open door to share our faith with a family member, a friend, a coworker, a classmate, waiting. We're living in expectation of what's not yet happened. There's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting. Passive waiting is you're at the airport waiting for your plane, eating a Cinnabon, just sitting there waiting for the plane. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about active waiting, active waiting, anticipating, preparing, seeking, getting ready, active waiting. God has placed a dream, a vision, a purpose, a calling on your life, and it hasn't happened yet. You're waiting, living in anticipation of what's to come. Now, what we're about to see is God uses waiting to prepare us for his perfect timing. God uses waiting to prepare us for his perfect timing. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, Easter on our calendar. Now, if you're new, we want you to know that we actually celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday here. Jesus suffered a criminal's death on the cross. In that moment, the Jewish religious elite, the Roman government, even Jesus' closest followers believed that his death on the cross meant the end of the movement. But as we know now, it wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. The stone was rolled away, Jesus died on the cross, and three days later he rose again. Luke, 
authored two books that we now have for us in our New Testament. Luke authored two books. The first one Luke authored is called Luke. Good job. The second one is Acts. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Luke tells us that uh, you know, if you like investigations, if you like detective work, fact-finding, then you are a fan of Luke. I'm a fan of Luke. Because Luke tells us that he wrote his account about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the growth of the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us he wrote these things after speaking with eyewitnesses and careful investigation. Luke presents to us as historical fact that Jesus appeared visible, tangible, after the crucifixion to his followers over a span of 40 days, Luke says, giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, maybe we take this for granted here 2,000 years later, but let's just stop there for a second. A man appears alive after a public death sentence crucifixion on the cross. Remember, Thomas actually touched his wounds. When a man successfully predicts his own death and resurrection, and that man appears alive again, people pay attention to what he has to say. Here's what Luke tells us happened at the end of those 40 days, right before Jesus ascended back to heaven. Luke 24, 45, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you remember that up until the crucifixion, right up until those last moments, Jesus' own closest followers did not fully grasp why he came. Now here, Luke tells us, before he ascends to heaven, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In this time, Jesus likely spoke about the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus made sure his followers understood that he was the one who fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies. Jesus made sure they knew he is the one who fulfilled all the promises about the coming Messiah that are spelled out for us in the Old Testament. So now Luke quotes Jesus. This is Jesus giving us a summary statement of his mission and what he invites you and I to be part of. Verses 46 and 47, Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead as it is written. It's written, Old Testament, Hosea chapter 6 verse 2, on the third day he will raise up. Christ suffered so that we can have sin forgiveness and restored relationship with our heavenly father. Our sin, you see, it separates us from God. God calls us to repent. That means to turn away from sin and turn in the direction of our heavenly father. Through Christ, we repent for a purpose. We, were, we repent for a purpose to receive forgiveness of our sin and restored relationship with our heavenly father. And after that, God invites us to join in the mission, to join in the purpose. Jesus highlights this message. His suffering, the way he defeated death, 
repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus says, this message needs to be proclaimed to everybody. Everybody needs to know this, Jesus says. And he says, it's going to start right here in Jerusalem. Well, what's true for that group then and for us now, our mission starts right where we are. I'm so thankful for a pastor who, through following the leading of the Holy Spirit, has increased the influence of people's church around the world. We're thankful to be engaged in what's happening in the nations. We stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. Yes, we are absolutely engaged in reaching the world, but our mission, we are here. Our mission begins here in Salem. For that group then, they were in Jerusalem. Your work starts here in Jerusalem. So the natural follow-up question, if you were one of those first followers of Christ and said, you heard Jesus say, this message needs to go out to everybody. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to go out to the world. Perhaps their follow-up question is how? How is this going to be accomplished? How is this message going to be proclaimed to the nations? And how about this? Who? Who is going to be the carrier of this message? Here's Jesus' answer. Verse Luke 24, verse 48, you, you are the witnesses of these things. It's you. The people in that room, they were part of the group that launched what you and I are part of today. They started telling and teaching people. And over the generations, the message of Christ reached down to the generations and began to reach far and wide, eventually reaching us. Our faith in Christ can be traced back to the obedience of these people. Wrap your mind around this amazing moment. Jesus dies on the cross. Everyone thinks it's over. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are convinced they have protected their religion by killing Jesus. Those who wanted Jesus to be a political overthrower, they think it's over because he's dead. Christ's own followers, close followers, they start to pack up and head out from Jerusalem on their way home. Then, then, the tomb is empty. Then the tomb is empty. And Jesus starts appearing. Mary Magdalene in the garden. The disciples huddled and hiding in a locked upper room. Thomas reached out and touched his wounds. Two believers on the road to Emmaus. And then there were the disciples who were out on a failed fishing trip. They came back and they find resurrected Jesus Christ making breakfast for them on the shore. The movement that was supposedly over was actually just beginning. For more than five weeks, these first followers of Christ interact with a man who correctly predicted his own death and resurrection. 100% man, 100% God, Jesus Christ. Now imagine Jesus. He's reminding and he's teaching. Remember when we discussed during those Remember what we discussed during those three years that we walked and talked together? Remember how I said the Son of Man must be lifted up? They're sitting there. Okay, now all the pieces are coming together. We're understanding what you were saying, Jesus. Think of those people hearing this call to action. Jesus suffered. Jesus defeated death. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Available for some? No. Available for everybody. Everyone needs to know. And who's going to do it? You are. You are the witnesses. You are the proclaimers. 
wow, the pep talk of pep talks. Perhaps if we were in that room, we'd feel like, all right, let's charge out of the tunnel. Let's go. We're ready. But watch what Jesus says. Verse 49, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay. Stay. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, I'm sending the promise. He's talking about who? The Holy Spirit. What a great promise. You are going to be clothed with power from on high. The Spirit of God is now going to live in you to encourage you, to empower you, to deepen your faith and understanding of God, to give you a new boldness. All of that, and Jesus says, but stay. You're ready to go. Jesus says, stay. Stay in the city. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait. Wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait for God's timing. What we see here is the call to action and taking action are separate events. The call to action and taking action are separate events. The call to action, the message needs to be proclaimed, and you are the witnesses, but Jesus says, not yet, wait to take action. Now here in 2021, you may be living in some version of this. There's something that you've been expecting. There's something you're anticipating. There's something you're getting ready for. You've had the call to action, but the door's not open for you. You're waiting. You're waiting. What is the temptation when we feel ready, when we feel called, when we have that call to action? What's the temptation when we are ready to go and it's not God's time yet? What's the temptation? The temptation is to shortcut. The temptation is to shortcut God's timing. Shortcutting the waiting season separates us from God. <laughs> it sounds crazy when we say it like this, but shortcutting is when we believe that God is taking too long. So we do something that is against his ways, even against his word, to get to the dream, get to the purpose, get to the vision, get to the calling. Shortcutting, it can reveal itself in many ways. It may be cheating to get ahead. It may be taking advantage of, manipulating, or deceiving somebody. Shortcutting may be putting someone else down to lift ourselves up. Shortcutting is compromising God's way the right way. Shortcutting is settling for the mess instead of waiting for God's best. I thought that was pretty good. Praise God. Now God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah. They were old. Like not a little bit, like really old. And instead of waiting for God's timing, Sarah initiated a shortcut. And Abraham is just as culpable in this, but... Sarah initiates the shortcut and she says uh, to Abraham, you need to invite my servant girl into your tent. Abraham's like, all right, I guess I'll be a team player. 
And Hagar, of course, becomes pregnant and has a son named Ishmael. Now, Sarah would later have the son that God promised, Isaac. And if you know anything about how the Bible aligns with history, you may know that the Isaac-Ishmael situation created a division and a tension among people groups that still exist today. I recently heard a pastor say, when we run ahead of God, we birth burdens, not blessings. When we run ahead of God, we birth burdens, not blessings. This type of waiting, we're not talking about passive waiting. We're not talking about just daydreaming or playing video games in your parents' basement, eating Cool Ranch Doritos. I'm just waiting to graduate. I'm just waiting for a girlfriend. I'm just waiting for someone to call and offer me a job even though I haven't applied for any jobs. No, we're talking about active waiting. We're talking about active waiting. Active waiting is preparing for the appointed time. Active waiting clarifies the call to action. Active waiting aligns our intentions with God's purposes. Active waiting is preparing for what's to come while being fully present in the now. Now here's what Jesus' closest followers did while they waited. And you let me know if this is active or passing, passive waiting. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Active waiting. They're praying. They are gathering together in community. They're getting ready. God's version of waiting is not wasted time. Are you seeing how God is bringing this together? He told the disciples, you are the witnesses. You are the proclaimers. You are entrusted with launching the movement that will bring the message of sin forgiveness to the world. And they're waiting. They're told to stop coming and going from Jerusalem, wait in the city, and here's why. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, all together, waiting. Waiting with hope-filled anticipation and expectation that God was about to do something big. The moment of waiting and readiness and preparation builds to the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Why is this such a big deal? Why Pentecost? Little background. Pentecost was the second of three great harvest festivals in the Jewish tradition. Jesus' death occurred at the time of Passover. So this is 50 days later. Why might God have told the disciples to wait? Well, the historians tell us that Pentecost was one of the most popular pilgrim festivals. People traveled from all directions to Jerusalem, near and far, north, south, east, and west. They're all coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost. The reason God's waiting is both spiritual and practical. The weather at the time of Pentecost is better making it easier to travel for Jerusalem. And we're told that Pentecost attracted even more people to Jerusalem than the Passover. God says, wait, wait. Now all these people are coming to Jerusalem for the Pentecost Harvest Festival. 
They're coming from miles and miles, from all directions. They're all coming to Jerusalem. And as they're all gathered in the city of Jerusalem, they've come from near and far. They're all there in the city. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. These are verses that are very close to the hearts of Pentecostal believers. Suddenly, suddenly, they're waiting. They're getting ready. They're preparing. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples who had been waiting. And God gave them languages of all these people who had come from all these different places in Jerusalem. The disciples, in that moment, as Jesus had promised, they were clothed with power from on high. The people were amazed. They were amazed. All of these backcountry Galileans were speaking in foreign languages, the languages of all who had gathered in that place. The people were amazed because they were hearing their own language. And this moment, it set the stage for Peter to deliver the first public sermon after the death and resurrection of Christ. You can actually read the transcript of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the saving message of Christ in the very same city where the top people in that city had approved and called out for Jesus' crucifixion just a few weeks earlier. That's the city where the movement is launched, the same city. And after Peter concludes that sermon, Luke reports that Not 500, not 1,000, not 2,000, but 3,000 people accepted the message of Christ that day. And then after, the numbers continued to grow exponentially. Yes, there is a season of waiting. There is a season of waiting. And, and then there is a time to go. There's a time to go. You're waiting. God's preparing you. He's getting you ready. Then there's a moment when it's time to act in the power of the Holy Spirit. God says, now. Clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a time to take action. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus at the time of Passover. Jesus makes sure the disciples understand that he is the one who fulfills the Old Testament promises. Jesus tells the disciples, the nations need to hear this message, and it starts with you in Jerusalem. Then he says, wait, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. In the waiting, they pray, they strengthen each other in community. The feast of Pentecost comes, and people from distant places all make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit fills those believers, gives the miraculous sign of languages through them, and a supernatural ability to speak in all these languages setting the stage for Peter to preach the message. If you've been with me, you see how God was bringing this all together for the moment of his perfect timing. And in that moment, there was a window of opportunity to act because all these people had come for, the, for Pentecost and they had only planned to be in the city for a short period of time. Leonard Ravenhill, Christian leader, 
is credited with saying this, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. There is a moment, there was a moment then when God said, now. Now is the time. And that's not all. What started on Pentecost started gaining momentum. And all those people who were supposed to just come into town for a few days, all these people who started to become Christians, they were supposed to come and go home, but they stayed. They stayed and they started to gather with the first followers of Christ to learn about Jesus, learn about the decision that they had made. Can you imagine being in a small group and Peter is your small group leader? Wow. Can you imagine being in a Bible study that's taught by John? That's what was going on. All these people that were supposed to come and go home in a few days, they end up staying and the community starts to rally around them. Jerusalem residents made room in their homes. People sold their stuff to provide for these out-of-towners. Now, there's one more event. There's one more event. Last one for today. A man named Stephen. Luke writes that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. A group of Jewish people started opposing Stephen. It's a pressure that built to a tipping point and Stephen was arrested. Stephen was arrested and they put him on religious trial. And in that religious trial, instead of cowering back in weakness, he stood up boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit and gave the message of Christ once again in that very same city where Jesus Christ was crucified and where he was seen resurrected. In that very same city, he accuses, he makes these statements in front of the people who called for Jesus' crucifixion. Not surprisingly, they were not happy. They were so mad, in fact, that they stoned Stephen to death. But what appeared as a moment of defeat was not a moment of defeat. If you know what transpires in history as recorded in the book of Acts, after Stephen's death, what happened? What happened to all those out-of-towners who had come to Jerusalem? They were supposed to come for the feast and go home, but they came and they stayed to learn under the disciples. What happened after Stephen was martyred? They dispersed. They scattered. Where did they go? They went back to where they came from. But did they go back the same? No, they went back as changed people. They scattered as trained people after devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And once again, an act that was intended to end the movement of Christianity actually had the opposite effect. It spread the message of forgiveness from Jesus to the far regions of that area of the world. In the gap between the call to action and when it's the moment to take action, the challenge is for us to be people of faith, trusting that if it is from God, it will come to pass. If it is from God, it will come to pass in his perfect timing, trusting when God says, wait, he is simultaneously aligning events to accomplish his purposes. In this uh, era of influencers and a lot of attention on me, God is simultaneously 
aligning events to accomplish whose purposes? <laughs> My purposes? No. His purposes. God is aligning events to accomplish his purposes. And many of us, we've already figured this out. Some of you are learning. This is the path you're on. When we have the same purposes as God, that's when we live our best life. When our purposes and God's purposes are the same thing. When God says wait, he is simultaneously aligning events to accomplish his purposes. This is a puzzle piece. This represents uh, one person, a person. In that moment, after Jesus said, you know what's happened. You know I suffered. You know I defeated death. You understand the, how I fulfilled all those Old Testament promises. You know you've made the connections now. And this is a message that needs to be heard by the world. If you were in that moment, you might say, Jesus, we've walked and talked with you. We've been with you for three years. We're ready to be clothed in the Holy Spirit right now. Why not now, Jesus? We're ready. Send us out. Send us out this moment. But so often we cannot see beyond our own peace. This is one piece of a thousand-piece puzzle. And there's the completed puzzle. This was done by Aaron and Melinda Hartenstein, completing the 1,000-piece puzzle. Do we, church, do we believe that we worship a God who sees the big picture? That he is supernaturally aligning events for his purposes to be accomplished? Luke in Acts, he tells us where all the people came from. They, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Aegea, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Rome, north, south, east, west. They're coming. Have you ever thought about how God was working in each one of the lives of the people who were in Jerusalem that day. God said to somebody in Egypt, you need to go. You need to be in Jerusalem. And maybe it didn't make sense. Maybe somebody in Pontus, they're having a conversation around the family dinner table. Do you think that we should go to Jerusalem this year for Pentecost? No, we just went last year. I don't feel like going again this year. I don't feel like getting in the minivan and heading back again this year. No, I've been praying and I think God's telling us to go. Those 3,000 people that were in Jerusalem that day, when Peter gave the first sermon, God brought them all there. God spoke to each and every one of those people to draw them to the place where they would hear the message. And now we see how each piece fits in to the puzzle. I don't know what you're waiting on today. 
but I do know that we're all waiting on something. We serve, we serve a forward-looking God. He's put a calling on your life. He's given you a purpose. He's preparing you. He's getting you ready. And maybe today you're thinking about taking a shortcut. And God's saying, do not settle for the mess. Wait for my best. God's saying to you, don't get out in front of me. Because if you do, you're only going to birth a burden. And your heavenly father wants you to have the blessing. And many of us would say, as we look back on the story of our own lives, we are most thankful when we waited on God's timing. And when we think about our regrets, in almost every circumstance, we regret when we took a shortcut and did it our way instead of waiting God's way. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. God is doing something in you and through you as you wait. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as you wait upon the Lord. God is preparing you. He's getting you ready. He's strengthening you for that moment when he says now. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord.